Father, thank you for the amazing work of your Son. Thank you that even before time as we know it, you had a plan in place to save us from an eternity of hell. And I thank you, Father God, that we can come together as the body of Christ and celebrate today the wonderful sacrifice, the gift. Thank you, Father. I ask now, Father, that you'd be with us, teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to be more like Jesus, our Savior. And help us to live as your people. In Christ's name, amen. I actually have two messages this morning. So you're going to get the first one, which is a short one. But it's important that we, we do this. Tuesday is the election, if you haven't noticed. It's been an exceptionally stressful and aggravating election year on multiple levels. 2020 has been difficult. I believe that it is imperative for believers to remember a couple of biblical truths for this coming week. I believe these truths will help us to rest on, biblical, on, on our biblical worldview. It's very imperative that we have some place where we can, we can settle, where we can be at rest that coincides with who we are in Christ. We talk about a worldview. And if we center ourselves and we, we discipline ourselves so that our thinking is on that biblical worldview, then we will not be overwhelmed by whatever the results are on election day. There's two passages that I want us to think about that remind us of our most important citizenship as believers. We're Americans. We are kind of um, free. And in many ways, we're, we're kind of consumed by that. And I'm not saying that's bad. I've been in some pretty strange places in the world. This is really a cool place to live. But this is not the most important place I hold citizenship in. First Peter, we, we saw this a few weeks ago. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Peter says, aliens and strangers, this is not your best place. Paul wrote this to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our primary citizenship, is in the kingdom of heaven. That needs to be a part of our worldview, and that needs to be a place where we, we, we find rest. We're pilgrims. We're, we're walking through this place. No matter what happens politically or socially here on earth, our home with, is with Jesus in heaven. Brothers and sisters, please rest here. No matter what happens on Tuesday, fill your thinking with the truth of our future eternal home in the presence of God. If we lose sight of this, our anxiety increases, 
we lose our joy and we can become discouraged and our witness can be comprehend, uh, com- uh, uh, hampered. We don't look as good as believers if we're consumed with the difficulties of the world around us. Along with this, continually remind yourself that God is totally sovereign. Zach and I like to press this. God is totally and completely sovereign. He is not partially sovereign. He is totally sovereign. He is complete, completely in control of everything. And everything works for His plan and His glory. There are times where we cannot understand that. Because we see the evils in the world and the things that we just don't agree with. How can God be in control? He is. If we reduce his sovereignty, then we reduce who he is as God. And that's that's not appropriate. 1 Chronicles 29 tells tells us this. Let me back up just a second. He is sovereign. That is a place for us also to rest. So we can have peace in that. In First Chronicles twenty nine eleven, it says this: Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. And in thy hands, hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great. To strengthen everyone. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over all governments. And he's sovereign over all political leaders and all systems. And we know him personally. There's a place for us to rest. Romans 13.1 tells us that every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. I take that literally. He's in control. He puts them in place. First Peter chapter 2 again. We saw this a few weeks ago again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent from him, by him for the punishment of evildoers and praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So in that passage, if you want to be in the will of God, you submit to whatever the the government system is. Sometimes that's hard. And the line that we have to establish is if that government says you cannot worship God, we go ahead and we worship God. Even as We've been described as pilgrims, even as pilgrims walking and waiting for our future home, we're to participate in this process. The political system that God has placed us in, we need to demonstrate that we are submitting to that system to honor Him and to glorify Him. So what that means is that every believer really should prayerfully vote. That's, that's how our system works. There is a, a, a way that you can, you can see voting even in Scripture. Deuteronomy 
It says, choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. So there's a shared concept that's going on. And I believe that's very evident in our system here in the United States. As your pastor, I want you to rest through this. No matter what the outcome, we know who's in control. Amen? Let's go to 1 Peter. The teaching of Jesus was extremely radical. No way around that. He was radical in the first century, and he's just as radical today. And one example of that radical teaching and the nature of what he would present to people is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is one of the most difficult commands from Jesus, hands down. The believer's motivation to be obedient is our love for Jesus. And and the one that we love says, love your enemies. What? That's not how we like to do things. This obedience to Christ is basic to being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. So when he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, then to honor him and to love Jesus, that's what we're to do. We live in a time when hatred and turmoil are all around us. How are we to deal with the conflicts while while we live in this world? How, How are we to deal with this? How are we obedient to Jesus while surrounded with, with this kind of hostility? And the answer to this question and, and some practical ways to be obedient to the command to bless those who curse you come from today's passage in 1 Peter. We're going to begin with just the first two verses to start with. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 13 uh, is, is the whole passage. We're going to do 8 and 9 to start with. To sum up, all of you be harmonious Sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. In, up to this point in, in 1 Peter, he's been, he's been addressing specific groups, citizens, Masters, wives, husbands. Now his purpose in this chapter is is to address all who would read the letter. So he's addressing us. And in this, he just gave us five specific commands for every believer. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. So what are those? All believers are to be harmonious. And literally, this means same think. Believers are to be committed to the truth and committed to unity within the church, even when there are difficult times and difficult decisions that have to be made. This harmony clearly demonstrates being disciples of Christ, and this unity is attractive to people outside the church. Jesus gives this same idea as a new commandment, John thirteen thirty four, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The second command that Peter gives is sympathetic. Sympathetic comes from a Greek word literally meaning sharing the same feelings. And believers sympathize with people who are in difficulty, pain, and trials, because we've all been in difficulties, pains, and trials. This sympathy needs to extend beyond just fellow believers in Christ. It's a sign of a disciple of Christ when a person shares in the feelings of sorrow, pain, joy, and accomplishment of other people. Hebrews 4.15 teaches us that this is the attitude of Jesus, our high priest. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, I'm sorry, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That's his example. When believers come alongside people in the pain of anxiety, pain and anxiety of life, the trials, the suffering, and they come alongside with sympathy... That very often is the, is, is the door that opens to be able to share the gospel and share the truth of, of who Jesus is, which then becomes an even more powerful tool for getting through the difficult times. The third command is brotherly. From a Greek term referring to affection of closely related people, and it's demonstrated by unselfish service and sacrifice. Uh, Romans 15, too. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. This is, a, this is agape love. This is, this is sacrificial love. And this brotherly attitude begins with brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. And it expands out from the church to people outside who don't know Jesus. The fourth command from Peter is believers are to be kind-hearted. This word in the Greek refers to a person's internal organs. Literally, you could say believers are to be intestines, but that's kind of rude, you know. That's literally what it would mean, but in that culture, that term became to mean your deepest feelings, you, the, the, the place where you have the, the most expressions of compassion. This is the pattern that... God has for us his, his compassion. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus had compassion. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. How do you feel about other people? The fifth command is to be humble in spirit. Humility is essential to the Christian life. Throughout Scripture, God is opposed to the proud. Humility is a powerful virtue of the believer. Paul speaks to this in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Actually, it's even more than that. That whole passage speaks of humility. But these, these words are very important for us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. As Peter continues in verse 9, he gives a radical command. So, so we have this list of five things. And then he gets radical. Peter gets radical, just like Jesus did. 
not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving blessing instead. Our natural reaction to being treated poorly is to retaliate, to react. And we do that. We we very often react in such a way to, to try to remove the stigma of the evil that's being done to us. That's our natural response. We are often quick to defend ourselves with the same kind of evil or insult. And we know that's true. This attitude gets us nowhere. Retaliation, insult for insult, only escalates conflict. As with the other commands, the greatest example of this is Jesus. We saw this also in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In verse 9, in 1 Peter chapter 3, evil is the quality of being evil, not just evil actions or deeds. It's the quality of being evil. An insult to insult has to do with spoken words. Throwing an insult back after being insulted is not an acceptable response for the believer. But I would venture to guess that all of us in here have done that. Somebody does something to you and you just throw back a verbal response. Instead of responding that way, Peter commands believers to give a blessing. So here's a radical teaching that's right along with the radical teaching that Jesus gave us. And blessing in this verse means to praise or to speak well of others. How do we do this then? We start by loving unconditionally. Sacrificial love that expects nothing in return. John 13, 34. Again, Jesus is speaking. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How did Jesus love us? He gave it all. This love was exemplified then by Jesus, his willingness to sacrificially die for sinners like you and I. Believers bless others by praying. You you, you can bless even the unbelievers around you. Do you pray for them? Pray for unbelievers. Pray for them to come to Christ. If they treat you badly, pray for them even more. The greatest answer to the problem with people outside the church, the greatest problem is that they're dead. They're dead in their sins, and they need Jesus. So when they treat you poorly, that needs to be part of your worldview, and you pray for them. Conflicts within the church should be approached with prayer for those involved. And, and not, not those kinds of prayers that, that are more like the, the vicious responses that are where we usually go. Like, okay, God, you get them and set them straight. Get a hold of them and you make them see things the way I see them. That's not the kind of prayer that God wants us to have for brothers and sisters. 
Instead, the prayers for all persons involved in any conflict need to be prayers to remember that we are members of the same body. We're all connected because of Jesus. And we're here to serve the same King. And our highest priority is to, be, is to bring glory to God. To demonstrate God and His kingdom here. We're all to do that. Another way believers can bless people is to communicate and show gratitude for others. Several of the epistles start with statements that, that exemplify this. Uh, the one I chose this morning is from Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. This is the way Paul started most of his, his epistles. I thank God for you. I thank God because this is what I see in you. One of the greatest ways of blessing others is another difficulty that we have, and that's forgiveness. If we forgive people when they persecute us, how tough is that? But how powerful is that? Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is in heaven, may forgive you your transgressions. And the truth is that as believers, He has forgiven us. So we're to forgive. That's powerful. In the second part of verse 9, in 1 Peter 3, Peter explains the motivation behind these radical responses to people. He says, For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. As believers, we have received a blessing, blessing of complete forgiveness by God through grace. We have also been given a heavenly life with God for eternity by grace. So blessing others, even if they persecute us, is a small task compared to the greatness of what God has shown, what He's already done. Think about what measures God has already shown you. How have you offended God with your sins? And God has forgiven you. He's shown you grace. He sent His Son. Peter reinforces this then, especially for the the Jewish audience that would have been very present in the churches at the time. And he goes to Psalms 34. He says, The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These verses from Psalms teach a believer's correct response to hostility, beginning with a warning about the tongue. Our speech causes so many problems. I got punched in the eye in high school. And it was, so, it was such a cool day. I mean, you know, I'm in this conflict with this guy. I'd known him just about my entire life, and we always had conflicts. And just as the teacher walks into the room, and we were in a drafting class together, 
It was my senior year, and the teacher walks into the room just as, as the fist hits my face. Yes. He got expelled for three days. I got a black eye. Of course, what the teacher didn't know was all of the words that I had spoken before that fist was turned loose. Our mouth, our words get us in a lot of trouble. James says this, the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Those are pretty strong words about our speech. The instruction here, the command here is, believers bless others and glorify God by not using words as a weapon. Believers are also to not speak deceit. This means believers are committed to speaking the truth. Both of these conditions are, are conditions of the heart. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what really fills your heart as a believer? Is it Jesus? Then speak the truth about him. Back in 1 Peter, verse 11 has four commands. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. And in the context of 1 Peter, the first command is to reject the sinful treatment of others even when they persecute. How do we do that? By being like Jesus. When he says do good... He doesn't mean do what feels good. To do good is having a biblical view. A biblical view of life. That's, that's how we live it. And not a worldly view of life. The world responds inappropriately. We as believers should not. And doing good is a deeper heart condition that, that seeks to do what is good based on God's holy standards. Are your reactions based on God's standards or yours? The third and fourth command, actually they run together, but they really are two separate things. Both seeking and pursuing peace carry a meaning with them of aggressive action. Aggressive action. So this is something you really work at. The peace that is pursued is a constant condition of tranquility. And I don't know about you, but this year in 2020, I was thinking through this. I'm just, I thought, I'll just skip this part because I have not been in tranquility for this year. I can't remember a time in 2020, and I felt really convicted about this. Tranquility? When? It struck me hard. Seek peace. I want the tranquility that is provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a permanent joy and happiness even in difficult trials and struggles. Those two commands, seeking peace, pursuing peace, they produce something in us. The seeking peace, 
that, what that looks like is it's, it's believers that are seeking peace are known by people in the church and outside of the church as people who strive for harmony without compromising truth. Hard to do. That's where we need to live. The last verse from Psalm 34 is, is the motivation of believers to live the commands that Peter has given. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That phrase, the eyes of the Lord, that's an Old Testament phrase, and it's used to describe God's care and watchfulness over his people. That's cool. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. If you if you belong to Jesus, if He has bought and purchased your life, if you believe in Him and He is your Savior, then the eyes of the Lord are on you. God watches you, cares for you. The righteous, toward the righteous. It means that God is attentive to our prayers when we cry out to Him. God watching and ready to hear the answer and, and, and answer prayers. That should be our motivation. Why is that our motivation? Because we want to please Him. He's right there with us. Let's please Him with everything that we say and do. Now, this, this motivation that Peter gives from Psalms 34 is also a negative motivation. Because he says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And in the Old Testament, the face of the Lord refers to judgment. His eyes represent his omniscience. Those who do evil and disobey his word experience God's wrath. Those who believe in Christ and follow him have always experienced hostility in the world. Have you ever thought about that? Since the church was formed... It has met with opposition and hostility. Before the church, in the Old Testament stories that you read, those who really chose to follow God and pursue God, they encountered opposition and hostility. It's always been there. But like our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, believers, God's people, can live humble, peaceful lives by responding to the hostility and the persecution like Jesus did. Like Jesus did. In some of the hostility and some of the conflicts that you might find yourself in as a believer, you change the, you change the, the situation by being like Jesus. Not easy to do. But the other side of that is really amazing. Diffuse a situation by blessing someone. And watch what it does. Have a good word for somebody who just keeps pushing on you. Can you do that? You can because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You are empowered by the Spirit of God, to do everything that Peter asks for us to do.
When believers abide and live by God's standards, they have the promise of God watching, protecting, and blessing his followers. Everywhere you go, every person you talk to, you can be a blessing to. And when you are, God receives the glory. Let's go live like Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you watch over us and you protect us. Help us, Holy Spirit, when we want to retaliate. Help us to put a watch to our our words. Change our thinking so that we have sympathy and compassion for those around us who don't know you. Help us, Father God. And fill us, Father God, with an expectation, a powerful desire, and a place of rest, knowing that we belong to you. Thank you, Father, for what you've done through your son, Jesus. In his name, amen.